Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center, connecting people to God and each other. For more information, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Well, thank you guys for reading those, and thank you to those of you in the church for sharing all the things. I, I loved how we had uh, had one that was sort of touching about how I know I'm not perfect, and thank you, God, for giving me a second chance, and it was directly followed up by thank you, God, for my puppy. And I, I thought that was great because it kind of speaks to the different places that we are at different times in our life. And I'm guessing for those two people, those two things were absolutely equal in gratefulness. And, you know, sometimes we look at, well, man, it's just the really serious ones or it's the ones that sound more spiritual. But God knows exactly where we are. And God knows when we're actually grateful for something. So, kids, you're going to be staying in here today. Uh, but I realize that that may put a demand on your energy level. So I need all the kids who normally come up to just stand up right where you are. All right, everybody just stand up. The kids who normally go out, so we're talking sixth grade and down. All right, now here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to try and burn off just a tiny bit of energy so that you'll be able to survive the next 20 minutes. So on three, I want you to give me the biggest, like, <laughs> shake it off as you can. Aiden, get back up. What's wrong with you? Ready? Shake it off. One, two, three. Excellent. Good job. Sit down. All right. Uh, We are going to keep this very brief. I want to talk to us just a little bit uh, about where we're going this next year, which kind of brings us to reflecting where we've been, where we're headed. And this is actually a great time of year to think about this sort of thing because so many people uh, have New Year's resolutions. How many of you have something that is a New Year's resolution that you have thought about for this next year? Yeah, it's most of us. Uh, The rest of you have probably thought about something, uh, except you might be in the camp that says, I'm not even going to verbalize it to myself. Because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to follow through on it. I, it's a time where we think about changes, changes in our family. And again, I'll just echo what Dad said. Praise God for all of the mentions of home and family and church and brothers and sisters and moms and dads and Joe's rock hard abs. All those, all those things that are sort of a testimony to the fact that God has already blessed you so far beyond what so many people woke up with this morning. You didn't, you didn't choose that. Now, I'm not saying we haven't put any work into it, but I'm saying there's a lot of people who woke up this morning and they didn't choose to wake up in a family where dad left a long time ago. That's just what it looks like for them. So what a blessing for you and I, no matter what our family looks like, that we have an opportunity to live out the gospel to live it out whether mom and dad still live at home, to live out the gospel whether dad left a long time ago or mom left a long time ago, whether you've lost somebody, that we can actually live out that Jesus is enough. He's enough that we can actually make it through. I I just want to read you a couple newspaper clippings. uh, One of the newspapers in Boston gave people an opportunity to write in some of their New Year's resolutions. I'm going to read you just a couple of them. Uh, one is, I resolve to stop feeding the office plant my leftover coffee, and I, <laughs> I will try to just use water instead. That's a good one. Uh, here's one. As a theater major, I seldom have much time to eat real food. Never mind sitting down with my family. So this year, I resolve to try really hard to stop eating McDonald's or Wendy's two to three meals a day. <laughs> and then they qualify it. If that isn't possible, I promise to at least clean the remains out of my car. <laughs> All the McDonald's and Wendy's bags. Uh, I like this one. I wish to become an old crone that my body already says that I am and stop trying to look like the Barbie that our culture wants me to be. 
funny. Uh, I hereby resolve to accept the changes occurring at work. Some of you are going to identify with this. Accept the changes occurring at work. I will try to remember that the decision makers do have a brain and will use it if necessary. Finally, I will cheer for them if it works, and I will try not to laugh at them if it doesn't. Oh, it's kind of real. I want to become the wonderful person my dog already thinks I am. And a little bit of honesty, but not something to be emulated by anyone. I resolve and refuse to take responsibility for my decisions. To never take any blame, not stand by my promises, ignore the needs of the poor. In short, my resolution is to become a politician. <laughs> Flip with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. I, uh, I'll confess while you're turning there that I had uh, a whole majority of a sermon that I kind of cut out and dispensed with because I realized it was going to take way too long. Uh, but I don't think that we would serve ourselves not to root what we're talking about in the Scriptures. So I still want to read a passage from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. We do not have the words up on the screen, so if you don't have a copy with you, there's Bibles back there in the back. You can look off the person standing next to you. Would you stand to your feet and read this with me? Philippians 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have already told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that this scripture is true, that it is accurate, that it is not an exaggeration, that you have the power to subject all things to yourself. That Jesus, there is literally nothing on this earth, there's nothing that exists or ever has existed that has the power to rise above you and say, I refuse to bow my knee to Jesus. Everything in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, must bow its knee to your authority. So God, we lift our eyes to you as sovereign king of all creation. We say our hope is in you, our trust is in you, our lives are in your hand. God, cause us in this coming year to walk like we believe it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, just briefly, just briefly, I want to walk us through a couple highlights in this passage as I think they point out things that Paul is saying that specifically speak to us. He starts off by saying, okay, before I I even talk anything about this, let's get this straight. I'm not there yet. I've not attained this. Not that I've already gotten all this. Not that I'm already perfect. Not that I've already worked all this out. And I'll tell you, I appreciated uh, all the blessings that were in there about, uh, I'm thankful for 
our pastors. I, I'm thanking for our church, that a church that loves the Word of God. And I, I say, amen. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. But again, man, we have to keep on top of that, that all that we are and all that we do is pointing towards Jesus. It's pointing toward his word. It's pointing towards his gospel because all we are is just fallen men and women. And just in case this was a perfect church, you ruined it by showing up. I don't know if you thought about that. Like, be walking around looking for, I just want the perfect church where everybody's nice and friendly and nobody talks bad about anybody. And then what do we do? We ruin that church by showing up at that church and bringing all of our issues and all of our problems to it. Except that's kind of what God designed from the beginning. That the church is not a place for perfect people, people who already have a halo. It's a place for redeemed sinners to display the glory of God. The fact that God is so good that he saves people like you and I. That we actually attempt to live different, changed lives by the power of the Holy Spirit because he's that good. Not because we're earning anything, but because he was so good to us. And Paul says, all right, don't miss what I'm saying here. I haven't already attained this. I'm not already there. But he does give us a little bit of instruction. He says in verse 13, he says, I am forgetting what's behind. Forgetting what's behind, I think when it comes to New Year's resolutions, when it comes to the start of something new is so important because if there's one thing that can sidetrack and train wreck our plans for the future faster than anything, it's our remembrance of the past. We think about all the times that we have failed in the past. And it brings you right up to the starting line and then you say, you know what, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to step up to the line because I I remember how it worked before. I'm not even going to try again. Whether that's your finances or your jobs or your marriages, you say, I know the direction this is heading already. I quit before the race ever starts. Paul says we have to make a decision to forget what lies behind. Forget what's in the past. You can also have to forget the past based on the fact that Your successes can be one of the biggest hindrances to your future as well. Man, we we have a little bit of success, a little bit of joy, and then we define all future success based on that. We say, well, maybe I've already attained it. Maybe I already have gotten everything there is to get. I can just cruise. I I don't need to press into God. I I know God. I, I don't need to work on myself. I'm pretty good. God's cleaned me up. I'm doing all right. That can be such a huge, huge stumbling block to us as Christians. There really is no movement in Christianity that is stagnant, where you're just standing in one place. You're either moving forward or you're kind of creeping backwards. God's in all of it. God's going to use it. But we do well to be pressing in towards God and let His grace be the thing that guides us rather than just waiting for his correction. He will use correction to bring all things together for good. Amen? Romans 8. It just feels a lot better when we're attempting to walk in his grace. Forgetting what is behind. Paul had a pretty good reason to say something like this. Uh, He had a few things lingering in his past. Paul, as you remember, was a persecutor of the church. He was somebody who literally was chasing followers of Jesus around, hunting them down, turning them over, attempting to extinguish this flame of the church in that first century. And I I can't imagine that there ever was a day that went by after Jesus arrested him on that road to Damascus, stopped him, changed his life, that Paul ever looked back and said, you know, I don't even think about that anymore. I've just totally forgotten. What? I can't even remember that happened. Every town that he walked in, where he had been previously, he had a testimony, but it wasn't one that you or I would necessarily be hoping for. Now, God used that in amazing ways. In fact, God opened doors for him to speak in those churches and in those communities because of that. And I think with passion because of that. And I want to just encourage you that maybe God has the same thing in store for you. That maybe there were things that happened in this past year or maybe years past that are not the type of testimony you would have chosen for yourself. It's not the type of history, the type of mistakes, sins, 
heartbreak that you would have ever chosen for yourself, but God is in the business of redeeming His people and using our broken stories, our broken lives for His glory. But I don't know if you're aware of it, that doesn't happen too often when we just live life looking in the rearview mirror, looking backwards, lamenting, whining about all the things that have happened in the past. God doesn't, he doesn't come off looking that glorious when we do that. God gets a whole lot of glory when broken, wounded people, who the whole world looks at it and says, I, I know that you're broken and wounded, when they're able to say, no, God was enough. God was enough. It didn't feel good. It didn't look good. But God was enough because I've chosen to forget the offenses that were behind and I'm pressing on toward what lies ahead. Uh, Verse 13, Paul continues and he says, I'm straining towards what lies ahead. Sometimes it's easy to forget, especially if you're someone like me. I'm one of the most forgetful people and just to be honest with you, that can be one of the most discouraging things in my life. That I'll forget something. And just like you, we all have things that get us down or depressed. And I'll, I'll forget something and it just eats on me. Which is sort of makes me identify with the story I read of these two guys who were talking. They were a little bit older guys sitting on a park bench and one guy says, you know, as I get older, I can't remember things the way I used to. And the other guy says, I used to have that problem until I took this memory course that sort of taught me. And it, at this point, I got a little excited. I'm like, what? There's a memory course? I can, I can learn to overcome this. He said, it's a very simple technique based on association of words and names, places, and events. Uh, now, because of that, I really don't have trouble remembering anything. So the first guy goes, really? What's the name of that course? So the old guy kind of gets this puzzled look on his face, and he looks up. He kind of turns white a little bit, scratches his head, and he goes, ah, okay. We're going to use the association thing. It's a name of a, a flower. It has like a long stem with like thorns on it, uh, really tight petals. Uh, what's that called? What's that called? And the other guy goes, Rose? Ah, yes, Rose, that's it. So he turns to his wife and says, "Uh, Rose, what was the name of that course? (laughs) I'm pretty good. (laughs) Uh, there, There are things in my life that I forget, not because they're not important to me, not because they weren't meaningful to me, because they're just gone. They're just not there. There are other things in my life that I have to work really, really hard to forget. I have to intentionally forget these things. You know how you do that? You don't do it by obsessing about forgetting. You don't sit around going, I'm going to forget that that person said anything. We've tried, you've tried this before. If you're a Christian who's ever tried to forgive somebody, especially another Christian, you've attempted this before where you go, God, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to just let it go. Not think about all those evil things they did to me. Not going to dwell on it. The fact that they talk to me like that. Treat it. I'm going to let it go and forgive and forget. I'm not even going to remember that evil thing. And we just keep going, don't we? Isn't that what we do? That's our attempt at forgetting. Paul had a little bit different course to forget. He says, I'm forgetting what's behind by straining toward what's ahead. Here's how I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to press on towards something else. I'm not going to set getting even as a goal. I'm not going to set making things right, making whoever owes me get to the place where we say, oh, that's fair. He says, I'm going to aim for a different goal. I'm going to follow Christ. The word straining here actually refers to a continuous concentration like that of a runner in a race, it is a ceaseless personal exertion of intensity. You don't strain accidentally. Rusty, who was a big crazy runner, 
doesn't accidentally run 10 miles. It doesn't happen. I accidentally ran three miles one time. <laughs> I was aiming for two, and I did the math wrong because I live in the country. I think it was closer to three and a half. By the time I got home, I literally, I'm not kidding, I literally had torn something in a calf muscle here. And I talked to Rusty, and he goes, why'd you do that? <laughs> I don't know, because <laughs> I was stupid. You know, you don't, you don't accidentally run strain towards the goal for 10 miles. I, I did that the first mile and a half, and I'm like, son of a gun. I've gone entirely too far. And the, the return trip did not look anything like straining towards the goal. Well, it did, but not, not in the running sense of things. More like the, you know, escaped from the nursing home sort of sense. It was this, <laughs> like ambulances pulling up beside me on the road. Can we give you a ride? I'm okay. Uh, it's disheartening. Uh, this verse here. Straining towards what, what's ahead at the conference a couple of weeks ago, John Piper was commenting on this verse here in Philippians chapter 3. And he said, it's, we have this tendency in American Christianity where we have this idea that I have to do it. I, I have to accomplish this myself. I have to fix it myself. And we forget that outside of Christ, we can do nothing. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. That it's all Christ, but we still have a job. That God is at work in your life and my life, but we still have a job. And here's the picture that, that Piper had, which I thought was so sinking good. He said, imagine that you're, you are trapped in this pit and you are helpless to get out. Right? That's salvation. We, we all know that. But that's sanctification too. I can't clean myself. I can't make myself holy, even though God has already saved me. I still am completely dependent on his power. So he says, God reaches down and he grabs us by the shirt collar and he picks us up. And as he has us up, as he's got us picked up, he goes, okay, now reach. The fact that we couldn't get ourselves out is not changed by the fact that God asks us to reach. He's just saying, because, and here was Piper's line, he said, because he is already seeing to it. Because God already has you. He's already picked you up. Because he's seed to it, now you see to it. Because he's already at work, that means we actually have some work to do in our, our own lives. We can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I, I'm just waiting. One of these days, God will clean this up. We've tried that with different things. Have you noticed uh, that, never seemed, that day never seems to come? Never seems to happen? And I, I'm not saying that we should create a list of sins, rights, and wrongs that everyone has to clean up if you're going to be part of this church at Eden. I'm just saying that we need to remember in all of our effort, in all your New Year's resolutions, that without Christ you are powerless. You're powerless to quit smoking. You're powerless to lose weight. You're powerless to be a better husband or a better wife or a better father. Because on our own, we are just, selfish, self-centered, desperately in need of a Savior. But Paul says, verse 14, I'm pressing towards the goal. As a church, I think we need to have a mindset. We we're talking about vision of where we're going. I think we need to have a mindset of beginning to press towards the goal, which sort of asks the question, okay, what's the goal? Like if we're pressing, if we're straining, if we're moving towards something, what are we moving towards? Because if, if we get to create our own goal, we're going to move it all the time. I saw a great political cartoon this week, and I won't give you the politics behind it, but one side was arguing to the other side in this cartoon. It was a picture of a football field, and then there was a hole where the goal post had been in the end zone, and then there was a hole at the front of the end zone, there was a hole at the 10-yard line and the 20-yard line, and a political figure was standing there saying, uh, I changed the rules again and decided to move the goal post. And there's a, a succession of these holes that were left in the past. If you and I get to choose the own, our own goal, our own destiny, we're just going to keep moving the goalpost. Because we realize we can never get there. I, I can't get there. Even with our best efforts, and 
it's like 80% of the people who start off with a New Year's resolution within the first four weeks are going to fall off. <laughs> I didn't say four months. I said four weeks. But they're all charged up about it to start with. Yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And then four weeks later, you're like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think so. I'm going to change the goalpost. I said I was going to lose 40 pounds. I might gain five. I don't know. <laughs> Feels better. <laughs> Just aim for a different direction. We have to have that dependency on the power of God. So here's a couple encouragements. Uh, these are encouragements for you as individuals, and I think for us as a church. Go slow. Go slow. You, you know the basic direction God is calling you? Don't try to accomplish that overnight. You know why? Because you're going to get horribly discouraged and you'll give up. You'll say, oh, I had this great thing I wanted to happen, and it almost nothing good ever happens overnight. The same thing in the church. One, one of the things the eldership has been doing for the past about three months is attempting to go slow through this process and say, God, what's, what's our goal? What's the target? What are we aiming at? And then from there to go step by step to say, okay, what are the important things that have to be a part of Eden Worship Center if we're going to reach that goal? And then the part nobody likes, okay, God, what do we have here already that's in the way of keeping us from getting that goal? What do we have to eliminate? What do we have to change? Who do we have to be? What are the things that you're calling us to do? I think one of the common mistakes that we make is we see a goal and before we know how to get there, we quickly rush towards movement, and then we make incredible mistakes. Now, you can't be afraid to make mistakes in your life or your church or your family, because if you're afraid to make mistakes, you'll never do anything, you'll never go anywhere. That's kind of how that works. It doesn't mean that we don't take a, enough time to seek the face of God and say, God, help us choose the right path. Yeah, we still might make mistakes, but we're going to attempt to be careful there was a great cartoon by Calvin and Hobbes several years ago. And it said, God has put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. And right now I'm so far behind, I may never die. Here's, and believe it or not, we're actually getting right at the end here. Uh, here's what Paul says. Verse 17. Just look at it in your Bibles. Philippians 3.17. He says, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on the example of others. Now, I want to I just put a word of caution in here and then a word of exhortation. The, the word of caution is uh, in imitating in following the example of somebody else, we are doing that, as Paul said elsewhere, follow me as I follow Christ. Where you see Jesus shining through in somebody's life, where you see just the glory of God, whether it's through triumph or tragedy, that's the type of thing we can follow. That's the type of thing that we can imitate that in our own lives. But there's never a call to imitate someone's sin, someone's weakness. And say, well, you know, I, I'm just like that because my mentor was like that. He spoke really harshly to people, was really short and abrupt with them, and so I do the same thing. Or he tolerated, there's two sides of the pendulum here. He tolerated anything and everything. And so that's what I do too. I, I never correct anything. E either side of that is going to lead you towards disaster, whether it's your family or your church. But Paul says, where I follow Christ, follow me and others who are setting that godly example. That means, and we're going to talk about this just in a second here, that we have a command in the gospel to live in Christian gospel community. It's not an option. I don't know what you think defines being a Christian. If I ask all of you to write down on your bulletin, the little note section, I want you to write down and define what it means to be a Christian there's a chance we might all have slightly different answers. And the reason that is, is because we have assimilated a great many things, some from this church that we grew up in, some from this Sunday school, some from this thing we heard on the radio or saw on television. 
think if we asked our kids in here, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know what? Our kids might actually give a little bit better answer than we would. Because for the past couple years, they've been getting drilled in Sunday school on what the gospel is and who this God is that we worship, which is awesome. I love that our kids are learning concrete reality of who God is. But I'm telling you, there is a danger that we have as Christians to having the wrong goal when it comes to what it looks like to be a Christian and how you get there. Let me, let me ask you a question. This was one of the questions Piper asked at this conference. He said, how do you know that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up a Christian? How do you know? How do you know that after you go to bed tonight, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you will wake up as a saved child of God? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to just think about it in your head for just a second. What's the criteria by which you know that? This is, this is shaky ground right here. Because if your answer is anything other than Jesus, that can all fall away in a moment. If it's because you read your Bible, what happens on the days when you don't read your Bible? If it's because you pray, what happens if you forget to pray? What happens if you are unable to pray? If it's anything other than the fact that God has chosen to save me and by His power has accomplished saving me, your hope's in the wrong thing. This is, this is like super serious stuff that we have to get this right. We have to get it right because that's part of what living in a gospel community looks like. And we don't like living in gospel community. Now we, we say... <laughs> in all of the blessings. I'm so thankful for our church. How many of you are thankful for our church? Show of hands. Oh, look at that. That's awesome. You guys are so holy. <laughs> I, I want to I suggest something real quick. About five minutes and we're going to be done. I, I want to suggest that there's a chance that there's a lot of times we don't like our church. Or at least we don't like the idea of what our church represents. There's a guy named Steve Timmis, who's a pastor in England, represented this with the best story I've ever heard about how this works. And as you listen to this story, you are going to unfortunately find yourself identifying at the end of it. Uh, Steve has this tendency towards getting these sores on his eyeball, these ulcers on his eyeball, not around his eye, on his eye. That's terrible. You ever got anything in your eye or on your eye before? You know, this terrible, terrible thing. So uh, he gets these, whatever they are, the, these ulcers on his eye and very painful. And he was, he was coming down one morning to a, uh, a breakfast meeting with the leaders of the church. Uh, there was a, a young intern girl who had actually, she was from seminary, from Bible college, who had come, and she was working with them sort of in training as a practical thing as part of this seminary. And she was there uh, sort of as a, a new recruit, just working for his church. And he comes down the steps into this room, and he says, guys, I just really need you to pray for me because I'm pretty sure I've got one of these altars starting on my eye. And everybody's like, oh. They, you know, they knew what it was like. So I, I just need you to pray. So far, this sounds good. This sounds like a version of church that we like, right? And then uh, it comes around time to pray, and this intern, this young girl, ends up being the one praying for him. And she goes, God, I just pray for Steve that you would heal him of this ulcer that's coming on. God, you know how painful these things are? You made his body. You formed his body. And... We believe that you have the power to heal his body and to keep this thing from forming. But if you choose not to, God, I pray that you would keep Steve from being so grumpy. Because when he gets these things, he gets so irritable and he takes it out on everyone else around him. God, help him to believe the gospel that he is a sinner who is saved by grace, that you don't owe him anything, and that he 
is to be forever grateful for the fact that you have saved him and sanctified him. God, help him to believe the gospel and put his trust in you and not how good he feels. Amen. Steve says, in the middle of that prayer, I thought, I'm firing her. She's gone. <laughs> now, here's, here's why we identify with that. Because deep inside, we love it when gospel community comes around us and goes, oh, aren't you nice? Aren't you great? Now, that's fine as long as we're always nice and great. I'm not. You might be. I'm not. Like, I, I've been battling some weird sickness slash food poisoning thing, which I gave myself. P.S. Don't leave food sitting out on your back porch because you think it's cold. <laughs> and then don't check the weather. And then eat ribs that have been outside. Yeah, just good note to self, right? New Year's resolution. Not doing that one again. Okay, <laughs> good talk. Uh, but when I don't feel good, I'm just miserable. I'm miserable to be around. My family can attest to that. Like, yeah, you were miserable at Christmas. We wanted to kick you out. It's true. I, here's the thing, though. We desperately need gospel community. You know why? Without it, we'll just keep on being miserable. Without that godly person who you can run to in your life, who has the authority to say to you, you are miserable, what's wrong with you? Where have you not believed the gospel? You say you believe the gospel, just a sinner saved by grace, who wants to be completely happy, healthy, and pain-free right now, and if I'm not, I'm ticked off at God in the world. Who, who gets to ask you that question, where aren't you believing the gospel? I, I don't know who that is, but that's one of the things that as an eldership we've been praying about. God, help us to build connections not only with you, but with each other. That's kind of the mission statement of our church, that we're to connect people to God and with each other. And if we have just connected you with God and not to each other, we've got to do a better job. We've got to do a better job of being the body of Christ. Developing an environment where we desire gospel community. Uh, at the end of Ephesians, I'm going to just read the verse to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us. By the way, this is why gospel community, this is why the church is so important. Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is, this is like thin ice for anyone who says, well, I believe in God, but I don't, I don't believe in the organized church. That's, that's a really dangerous slash biblically ignorant thing to say if Jesus, God, says, here's my plan that forever and ever, amen, let it be so, I'm going to display my glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That, that would be equal to saying, I believe in God, but I don't believe in this Christ Jesus guy. That's, some, that's not just shaky ground. That's like fiery ground. We have a responsibility to be the church and live like the church. Here's the three basic things that I want to give you as EWC resolutions for this next year, where we're going. Number one, to preach the gospel, to sing the gospel, to live the gospel. To preach the gospel, sing it, and live it. That everything that we do from this pulpit is going to be gospel-centered. You're going to hear the word gospel so much it's going to take on a whole new meaning for you. A whole new meaning. Not, not a brand new, we created this meaning, but the original meaning. We are sinners, unable to save ourselves, unable to fix ourselves, completely dependent on the action and activity of an almighty God stepping into your life. And because of that, we owe Him everything. And we demand of Him nothing. That's the gospel. We want to center everything that we preach around the Word of God, everything that we sing around the Word of God. It, you may have noticed that a lot of the songs that we do, like there's, 
I, I, I don't want to like belittle a song because I actually, re- I'll, I'll say this, I really like this song. Uh, but I remember in the 90s when the Vineyard song Breathe came out, uh, which basically says, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Good, good idea. And yet the, the song felt, it felt kind of like breathing, like it was just a lot of air and there wasn't a whole lot there. And I, I'm not saying that to take away from the song because I really like it. You may have noticed that almost every song that we do nowadays has tons of words to it. Have you noticed that? Some of you are like, I hate all these words. Can't I just sing, like in, in Breathe, can't we just sing the chorus where I sing the word I and it, it takes up about 18 syllables? I'm, I'm going to sing during the sermon. Are you ready? <laughs> And I, 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 I'm desperate for you. We do get eventually to I'm desperate for you, but it's only after we've sang about I, 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 I for about 45 minutes. Are you with me? Here's what we want to do in the music and the worship here at Eden Worship Center, and that is point everything 100% towards the gospel, toward who God is, what his character and nature are like. Can, it, can I give you a real practical example from this morning? I hadn't planned on sharing this. We hadn't even planned on doing this. We were singing that great song, Never Once, that never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. And it, There's a danger even in singing a song like that, that we're like, oh, I'm alone. I've never been, and it, I, I, that the emphasis gets all on me. And as we were practicing it this morning, I said, what if the whole worship team doesn't come in until we we sing quietly, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. And then let's have the worship team nail it when we declare, but you are faithful. Did you notice that happen? For some of you, it scared you. You're like, bam, what? (laughs) Like it just got real loud all of a sudden. That's what we want our worship to do. The emphasis is not on the fact of me and my attempts towards God. It's the fact that God is faithful and his character is trustworthy. Okay, I don't have time to share this stuff with you. I just got a little excited. Tuck that away. So preach the gospel, sing the gospel, live, demonstrate the gospel. Right? There's accountability with that. Uh, the second thing is to develop an environment of gospel community. We want to make this the type of church where it's really, really hard to just come on a Sunday morning and not have any other connections with people. We want want to get to the place, and it's going to take some time, where if that's all that happens in your walk with God here, hey, we're glad that that is happening. We are so glad God has brought you here, but we want to make it so that you say there has to be more. I need more. I want more. I want to grow in my walk with God. And the last one is to seek in everything to glorify God. Not tradition. Traditions are good as long as they glorify God. Traditions are demonic when they glorify us. Just a thought. Let me read in closing. Close your Bibles. I want to read some New Year's resolutions to you that are old. In fact, they were written in 1723. But I think they would be fantastic resolutions for us individually and us as a church. In early 1700s, Jonathan Edwards wrote his list of resolutions, completed it in August 17th, 1723. He says, I'm just going to read you about seven of them, or eight, I can't count. He says, number one, resolved. By the way, this was his number one, not just my number one. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and the most good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many or however so great. That the number one thing that we resolve to do is glorify God. By the way, once your number one goal is to glorify God, 
along with that, you can say, and to do whatever makes me as happy as can be. Because if glorifying God is our number one goal, then all of a sudden everything becomes God's good gift. If you've just decided, oh, I'm going to have a better marriage, and you haven't first decided to glorify God, your wife just became your idol. Your husband just became your idol, and I don't know if you know it, but he does not have the power to be that God in your life. And he will disappoint you very quickly. But once God and seeking his glory is your number one, I can pursue my wife. You can pursue your husband in such a way that brings you the ultimate happiness. Number two, resolve to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention or contrivance to promote the aforementioned thing. I'm going to come up with new ways all the time to glorify God. I'm going to invent new ways to glorify God in my family, in my life, to my children. Those of you who say, I want to be a father or mother, I want to be a better one this year, coming up with new ways to glorify God. If it's a new way to glorify you so that the end, when you're old and lying in the nursing home, and your kids go, you were the best mom, grandma, great-grandma ever, it's not enough. It's not enough. Number three, resolved, if ever I shall fall or grow dull, so as to neglect or keep from any part of these resolutions, that I will repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. In other words, I'm resolving to do this with all of my life, and I'm also betting on the fact that I'm still a fallen sinner, and I'm going to forget. I loved, as we were praying this morning as the worship team, one of the things Brent prayed as we were just wrapping up that time, he said, God, I hate the fact that sometimes I'm walking my route for the post office, and he realized, I haven't thought about anything for a while. I haven't prayed for a while. Jonathan Edwards, 300 years ago, said, but when I come to my senses, I'm going to repent as quick as I can. You're not going to get it right. You're not going to get it perfect. When you find out that you're not perfect, it doesn't mean you just kick the dirt and say, I give up, I quit. It means I repent. God, I turn back. Number four, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. In other words, I'm going to be ruthless in my own life to say I'm only going to seek the glory of God. Verse, or number six, he said, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to live with all of my might, not giving up, living for the glory of God. Three more, and we're all done. Resolved whenever I do any conspicuously evil action to trace it back till I come to the original cause, and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more and to fight and pray with all my might against the origin of it. In other words, I'm not just going to get bogged down in the surface of my sin. Oh, I responded like this. Oh, I, I, I responded angrily, or I had a bad attitude. Why did I have a bad attitude? Why did I respond badly? And I'm going to endeavor not to do that again. I'm going to endeavor to kill that part of me, that part of me that's selfish and demands my own way. Second to the last one, resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken in my fate, in my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. Let me translate that for you. I resolve never to quit fighting against my own sin, my own messed up nature, no matter how badly I lose that fight. That's a good one. That's a good one. We like fighting with things until we don't win the first two go-arounds, and then we say, I quit. Don't we? Resolve never to give up. And the last one, resolved very much to exercise myself in all of this, all life long, with the greatest openness I am capable of to declare my ways to God and lay open my soul to Him. All of my sins and temptations and difficulties and sorrows and fears and hopes and desires and everything in every circumstance. If we do that, we will live in gospel community. Because our natural tendency is to do the opposite, and that's to hide it. To bury it away and say, oh, I'm not actually as bad as you think I am. 
but instead to say, I am as bad as you think I am. And Jesus still saved me, so I want to be different. Stand up on your feet. Let's pray together. By the way, kiddos in this room, you guys were awesome. So cool. Let's pray. God, we're praying this not just for ourselves, not just for the adults in this room. God, we're praying this for the young boys and girls sitting in here, sleeping in here. God, those of you you joined with our family, would you cause us to be families that resolve to live for your kingdom and your gospel? Would you cause us to want to live in gospel community with each other? Lord, our, our community is super good at saying that we like living in small community. And God, when tragedy strikes, we're actually good at living in community. But all the rest of the time, it's keep your nose out of my business. All the rest of the time, God, we want to live by ourselves with no one looking over our shoulder. God, the reality is you are always with us. You are not only always looking over our shoulder, but you're beside us and you're in front of us, that you're right there. God, that means we need each other. Pray, God, if this happens, it's really only a miracle of your grace, but I pray that you would cause a longing inside of us to find those brothers and sisters in Christ right here, that we can unveil not only our hearts to you, not only connect to you, but we can connect to them. That we don't have to hide our sin from them. We don't have to hide those things that we're ashamed of. Lord, not because I'm okay and you're okay and we've learned to tolerate everything, but because we know that they're sinners just like us, may just be in a different area. They love us enough to call us to repentance. God, I pray that you would change us as a church to be so gospel-centered that nothing else feels right. I pray you'd ruin us for anything else. Ruin us for everything but your gospel. And out of that, Lord, let your glory be portrayed to the earth through your church. Because you are the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to your power that's at work within us. So our prayer is to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.